Um, we're going to jump right in today. If you have a Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we'll be. We will have this on a screen, but let me just tell you, uh, I would highly encourage you get a Bible in your hand somehow. Phone, iPod, iPod, uh, one of those things that they used to have called books. You could get one of those. Um, Start bringing a journal. I would love that because we're going to be in a series for several weeks here that I'll tell you more about in a second. But as you're getting there, I want to give you guys a pop quiz. Tech folks in the room, you may have to bypass answering this. You may, you may know the answer to this or just sit there if you know the answer. Give us common folks a chance, right? But, but here's the pop quiz question. I'm going to give you some initials, and I want to see if any of you know what they stand for. So go ahead. Here are the initials. B-S-O-D. I think we've got this on a slide. B-S-O-D. Anybody know what this, this means? Any guesses? All right. So I bet, Mike, Micah, you know? Okay, Mike has got it. So that's his industry. So let me give you another clue. We're going we're gonna to clue you in. Go ahead and bring the next slide up. See if anybody knows, anybody know what this is? The blue screen of death. Yeah, now some of you, this was not your generation's blue screen of death. You've actually got this newer version. Go ahead to the next one. It's nicer. They, they put a, like a frowny face on it. Now, like the millennials are like, oh, yeah, I got it. Windows, yeah, we, that, the old one was Windows 97. So the blue screen of death, anybody still not know what these are? Blue screen of death this is the death screen. It's a screen that pops up on Windows computers when the system gets overloaded and can't keep up. It's the thing that happens when the computer says, I can't do any more than this right now. Anybody ever felt like that? I have to dump some things off my plate to be able to keep up with what you want me to do, so I think I will just shut down. That's what the computer language says when you get this blue screen. Now, it's been several years since I've been a Windows user. I'm definitely an Apple guy, but I remember this screen. Like when I Googled that image this week, I had this emotion come back, right? You know that emotion. Like I remember how I felt in college wondering if my paper had been saved when that blue screen of death popped up. I remember the angst. I remember the way to get out of this screen. Anybody remember how you got out of this screen? Come on, what was it? Turn it off is one way, yeah. That, but we've got these three commands, right? Control, alt, delete. See, that was the way you got out. That was, what that created was, was a reset, right? It was a hard reset. You hit those buttons, and everything started over. It dissolved the blue screen of death. It reset the computer. And the computer, when you got that screen, was saying enough. You pressing control, alt, delete was the surrender to the reality that you didn't like. That's the way that works, right? So often, there was no other way out for us to get back to life with the computer. We had to surrender to the reset. Sometimes, I think, a reset in life is the only way to keep going as well. And so we need that hard reset at times in our life. We need a bit of a change, a different way of doing things. See, I think many of us are often living, fighting our own blue screens of death, right? Like there might be times, you guys could practice this, maybe just make a sign that's blue. And when your kids come at you for the 30,000th time, just <laughs> control, I'll delete you. Like whatever it takes, we need that hard reset. Like we need a, a complete overthrow of our worldview. I, I would say it this way. You don't, at times, you don't just need a new perspective. You don't just need a new way of seeing things. You actually need new eyes. You actually need complete difference. See, in many ways, I think this is the season we find ourselves in culturally right now. 
Like I described this several weeks ago, and I don't know how many of you were here, but do you remember the, the group study sessions in high school or college when you got together with people? And for some of you, that may have been beneficial. For me, I, it was awful, and I just didn't like people in that setting, right? And I'll tell you why, because when I showed up to the group study sessions, I would usually come having thinking I know what I should be studying for, and then I'd sit down with six other people who would convince me I had no clue what I should be studying for, and they had new questions that I hadn't even thought about, new worries that I hadn't even thought about. And so what a group study session was intended to do, which was alleviate stress and help me feel more prepared, actually created more collective anxiety than I had known before. I think our culture in many ways in this pandemic season is is facing the same collective anxiety. I, I told you how last week, how strange of a season this has been for us as a church. But if I'm honest, it, it's, been, it's been strange, but it's been stressful. Stressful as we discuss how to reopen safely. Stressful as we go, you know, we're going we're gonna to encourage and be as mandatory as we can as good, nice Christians, right, about wearing masks. Like, just let's do it. And, and how do you do that and love people well? And stressful as we think about finances. Stressful as we determine how do we move forward in our mission. And, and you know what? We are one pocket of the collective stress that our entire society is feeling right now. We're just one pocket of it. I think we all feel like we're in one of those group study sessions and the questions are just getting out of control. We feel this politically, right? We feel this socially. We feel this locally. Our school leaders are living this right now as we talk about reentry, and there's all this stress coming out. Medical professionals are living this. Parents, you're living this. Like, you love your kids, but take them somewhere. Go. Like, we've got all this stuff going on. And see, the plates we're carrying, I think, are full, and it can feel at times like we just want to throw up that blue screen of death. So I want to create some space here at New Community where we can reset, right? Like, like that's my goal with this series is to say, let's, let's just hit the pause button on everything else that's going around us. Let's go back to Scripture and see what the reset looks like. And we're going to do that in a different way than we've ever done in our existence as a church in our eight years of existence. See, usually when I plan teaching series, we put together like four to six weeks of a series because that's what people tend to track along with. But this time we're going a different direction. This is going to be a marathon. Everybody, you, you ready for that? Just, just say marathon. I want to hear you. All right, so basically from now until Christmas, by the way, there's 20 weeks till Christmas. You're welcome for that <laughs> blue screen of death, right? There. <laughs> From now till Christmas, with a few exceptions, there's going to be some exceptions because we've got election day and some of you are going to need therapy and some of you are going to need humility. Like we're going to have to walk with election day and talk about that. We're going to do some different things along there. But from now till Christmas, we're going to simmer in this whole idea of resetting. I want to go really deep in this conversation because I think while the world around us is trying to move faster and faster, it might actually be good for us to slow down and dig deep. I think part of the reset we need is a reset of our pace in this series might allow us to do that. So here's how we're going to do this. For about 17 of the next 20 weeks leading up to the Christmas season, we're going to explore the book of Acts. We're going to go really slow through the book of Acts. Now, I don't know if you know much about the book of Acts, but it's a good place for us to consider what a reset looks like because it's the story of the early church. It's the story of the church immediately after Jesus departs the earth, and it's a story of how the church grew, how it faced challenges and persecution, and how it thrived in the middle of all those challenges. Acts is the story of the Jesus followers and the world that they lived in and what their lives looked like empowered by the Holy Spirit to face every challenge that came their way. Now, here's the good news for us. I believe the early church was born out of this idea of a reset. 
I believe they emerged in the face of great challenge, having been reset by God, these, these scared disciples now living into a mission that he had given them. So let's start part one of a 20-part series. Amen? All right, here we go. And it may be longer. We may just pause at Christmas and then come back in January and go through the rest. So Acts 1, verse 1, here's what it says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So understand, this is a sequel. The writer of Acts is the writer Luke, and Luke is saying, in my former book, guess what his first book was? It was Luke. So he says, here's the sequel. In my former book, Theophilus, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, like he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. See, this this story begins, and, and, and Luke says, this is a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach that I told you about clear back in Luke. Albeit, I'm going to say, Luke says, I'm going to tell you the story now through the apostles. Jesus isn't physically present, but his work is continuing through the apostles. This is their reset, right? This is, we're going to unpack this today, but Jesus is actually leaving the apostles, The first story, the Gospel of Luke, was about Jesus' life here on earth. The disciples hung on to that. They loved that. They're going to learn to do life in the book of Acts without him physically beside them. So as we go today, we're going to see some of the ways that they engage this reset. And specifically, it's going to reset their purpose. But we'll get there today. Let's look at one of Jesus' last meals with his disciples. Look at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And he says this to them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Now, just pause there. If you go back and read the book of Luke, which I would encourage you as we go through the series to do that, everything in the book of Luke moves towards Jerusalem. It's a story that, that gains momentum as Jesus moves towards Jerusalem, where he will die on the cross and resurrect and become the king, because the king of the Israelites had to go to Jerusalem. And now Jesus is telling the disciples here, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. And then he says, because for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. A couple things here. First of all, post-resurrection, Jesus was spending time with his disciples, his friends. He was prepping them for what was coming. And I think, I think these disciples were more open at this point than they had been in a long time. If you remember the gospel stories of Jesus, he was spending a lot of time predicting his death. That was a fun guy to hang out with, right? I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here. You guys got to be ready. I'm gonna, and he's always predicting his death, letting them know he wouldn't be with them, and yet they missed it. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, they're falling apart. It says they're fearful. They're hiding. They failed at standing up for him. Their expectations of Jesus and his role as their king were shattered, and so they didn't know what to do, how to go on. But picture them now post-resurrection. Maybe they got it a bit more at this point, or at least they were more open to knowing they didn't get it. Have you ever had humility in your life come because you went through painful experiences? You ever hit that moment where you go, oh, mom and dad, you were right, and I was dumb. That's humility born out of pain. See, I think they're more open here. This is where they are. I think their meals may have been a bit more quiet, a bit more conversational, a bit more open and listening to the things Jesus wanted to say to them. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to them? He says, wait. Oh, that's great. 
What do you have for us, Jesus? What's going on? Well, I want you to wait. I don't want you to do anything. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Don't try to find a new purpose, a new trajectory. Don't jump into some other mission. Don't fill your calendar with some other thing. Just be still and wait. You know what I always hated about the blue screen of death? The waiting. I hated being slowed down. My wife and kids will still tell you I hate moving slowly. Like they can't go fast enough for me. I can't stand it, right? I, I hate that. And computer designers know that, right? They know we as human beings hate the waiting. Tom Petty said it best. The waiting's the hardest part. So these technology giants, the Apples, the IBMs of the world, they fight as hard as they can to shave micro and nanoseconds off of the startup times for computers. They try as hard as they can to just speed up the restart, the reset, and every processing speed that they can. But this, friends, is not the way of Jesus. It's not how Jesus does life. It's not the way of God's kingdom. Every time there is a reset for God's people, for the followers of Jesus, there tends to be this command, this encouragement, this invitation to wait involved. And maybe that's the first thing you need to be asked today as you think about your own reset. Maybe this is the question. What does it look like for you to accept the in-between? What does it look like for you to accept this in-between space? See, the in-between is the space of waiting. It's the in the meantime place, right? Jesus' disciples, they knew he was resurrected, but they were entering a span of time where he was going to ascend to heaven. He was going to disappear. They were in between the hope of resurrection and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And all they were told to do was wait, to wait, to simply be still and stay where they were. I think Jesus was telling them this, right? I want you to accept the in-between time. I want you to live in that tension. Don't run from it. Don't avoid it. Don't try to speed it up. Accept it. Sit down and invite the waiting to your dinner table. Pour a glass of wine with the waiting and savor it because the in-betweens cannot be rushed for the people of God. What does it look like for you to accept the in-between? See, this is where our reset starts. This is where our spiritual renewal often begins. What does it look like to accept the in-between? Maybe, maybe there's a reset of your attitudes that needs to take place, where God would say, just be still and listen. And the way you do that is you engage the spiritual disciplines like you never have before. I don't know if you have a regular time where you wake up in the morning and, and you sit with those scriptures, where you sit in prayer, where you actually take time to discipline yourself into the waiting. Friends, guess what? You're never going to just happen, stance, fall into being really good at waiting. That doesn't happen by accident. It's like thinking, I'm going to just keep going to McDonald's, but somehow I'm going to get skinny. It's not going to happen. See, when we seek to reset our attitudes, we practice those spiritual disciplines. Maybe you need to reset your relationships. You, you just need to be still again and listen. Wait for God to act in your life. Can I say this, singles? Wait for God to act in your life instead of the online dating app. Maybe give yourself a year and just say, I, I, want, to be my, I want to be the person God wants me to be for whoever is out there for him to bring to me. You reset those relationships or you reset your emotions. You turn off social media for a week or a month or crazy like a whole year. Watch your anxiety diminish if you do that. I'm telling you, we reset those things. When we accept the in-between, we shift the posture of our hearts to receive the promised gift that God wants to give us. We take the days that it takes before whatever's coming comes, and we go, God, I'm all yours. 
I'm all yours. We let the in-between time become a sweet time for us before whatever's next because what's next will keep you busy when it's the promise of God, when it's the mission of God. We accept that in-between. Look at verse 6. Then they gathered around him. I I love this part because the disciples kind of go back to their typical behavior. He's like, I just want you to wait and hang out here. So they gather around him and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You told us to wait. Are you ready, God? Is this? And we need to unpack this question, right? The disciples hear Jesus say wait, and they want to know if they're, what they're waiting for is finally going to happen. We've been expecting this. See, what was their expectation? They expected Jesus to finally become the physical king that would eliminate Rome from ruling over them any longer. They wanted to see after Israel has lived as a nation held captive to the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Romans. They wanted to see God finally restore their identity as a nation. And for Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah and Savior, to truly become the king he was made to be. You see, for the Jews, the idea of Savior and Messiah was never, listen, don't, this is so critical to understanding biblical theology. You've got to grab onto this. It was never, a Messiah was never just about getting to some far off place called heaven. It was always about God reestablishing his throne in Jerusalem through his people, through the king, the Messiah. The disciples thought in that exact same way. See, Jesus had picked 12 disciples. So for the disciples, they thought, surely we're going to be the 12 generals of the new Israel, the 12 tribes. Jesus, are you going to do it finally? You know what question they're really asking? Parents, you get this. It's the question we've all asked, and the questions, parents, you've all been asked. Are we there yet? That's what they're asking. Are we there yet? Is it, is it finally going to happen? The problem is that you know this. The answer to are we there yet is always relative, right? Like if you're driving to the beach and your kids say, are we there yet, and you're anywhere more than an hour out, unless you're just mean, your answer is no. Be quiet. But if you're just going to French Creek, are we there yet? Well, for five minutes or less, yeah, maybe we're there. It's a relative answer. So look at Jesus' answer, verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Sometimes I don't know why people hung out with Jesus. (laughs) This is just an annoying answer, right? Are you going to do this now? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, it's not for you to know. I love this. Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to wait. It's their reset. Accept the in-between. Embrace it. And immediately, they want to know the answer to this question. Are we there? Is the restoration about to happen? Come on, Jesus, tell us. And he looks at them, and his answer to their question of are we there yet is this. He says, we're not even going there. Huh? You know what he's getting at? He's not, see, listen, he's not resetting their in-between time. He's also resetting their expectations. He's not just saying, wait. He's saying, I want you to change your expectations. See, if part of resetting our purpose means accepting the in-between, the second element centers on this. We have to let our expectations be adjusted. We have to let our expectations be adjusted. This is so critical to what a reset looks like. Like all around us right now, the collective anxiety at work is full of people longing to have these same questions answered. You know the questions that people are asking, right? Are, Are we almost through this pandemic Are we there yet? How long will this last? How long until a vaccine? How long till we get back to normal? What is our plan? And you know what? Those are the same questions we ask in the rest of our lives. Are we almost through our pain? Are we almost through our struggles? Are we there yet? How long, God, will this last? How long, God, until there's a vaccine for the problems 
of my life. God, how long until we get back to normal? God, what is the plan? And I think Jesus is saying the same thing to some of us right now. See, let your expectations be adjusted. Let your expectations be reshaped. See, when we have the courage to embrace the in-between, we can then let our expectations get adjusted. By the way, this is what every hero of the Christian faith does. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks, you can look this up later, but he says, he was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan, and he pleaded with God. Now, some people think this was some kind of sickness that was chronic that Paul was facing. They think it was a, a, a speaking problem that inhibited his ministry. No one really knows for sure. He says it was just a messenger of Satan that he could not get out of his life. But he pleaded with God up to three times, God, take this away. Get rid of this. God, remove this from my life. And in 2 Corinthians 12, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul says this incredible thing. He says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know what Paul did there? He took his expectation of being healed and he adjusted it and said, I'm going to absorb this pain and use it for God's glory. I'm going to adjust my expectations. See, some of you, this is where your reset starts. You need to allow your expectations to be adjusted. Can I tell you a couple places where we need our expectations adjusted? I think some of us need our expectations adjusted when it comes to our destinations, right? You, you thought you'd have that job by now. You thought we'd be back in school by now. You thought you might leave that job by now. You thought you'd be out of your parents' house by now. Whatever it is, whatever that destination is, there may be a place God's going, I want you to adjust your expectation about your destination. Some of us need our expectations about our relationships adjusted. You thought you'd be married by now, or you thought you wouldn't be divorced by now. You thought you'd find that best friend by now. You thought you'd still have that best friend now. You thought that loved one would still be here. You thought the hurt from that loved one would finally be healed, and we need to adjust the expectations for those relationships. One, one other place I think we need to adjust our expectations is our emotions. That sometimes we think that we thought the pain would have healed, or we expected the anger to go away, or you expected the guilt to let off the gas of your life. Whatever it is, what does it look like for you to embrace that, to absorb that, and go, God, just use this weakness in my life for your glory. Whatever it is, use it. Because they are thorns, and they might be messengers of Satan, but when we absorb these things, and we allow God to transform them, then the glory goes back to him. Watch what Jesus says next here. So he tells them, he says, it's not for you to know this time or place, but then he says this, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here's the good news. This is the actual change in the situation. This is the actual place where Jesus promises something, and he says, this is actually here, this promise is for power and purpose. He says to his disciples, if you wait... If you embrace the in-between and if you adjust your expectations, the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in power. And we'll see this more in, in depth in two weeks, but just know this is the, the, the promise of power from God. And friends, when we reset our lives with Jesus at the center, that's the promise we have. But listen, it's not just a promise of power, but it's a promise of power with purpose. He says, you're going to be my witnesses this is Greco-Roman language, by the way. See, when a new king took the throne, the king would send out heralds, witnesses to all the land. Remember, the Roman Empire stretched from about Britain to India. It was massive. 
And they would send heralds, messengers throughout the, 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 the countryside, the, the colonies, all the civilization that was known to them. And the herald would go and say, there's a new king on the throne. There's new glory to be held. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news. So Jesus says to his disciples in the middle of their question, are we there yet? Is Rome out yet? Is the power of Caesar overthrown yet? Jesus says, wait. You're going to receive power. Then you will have new purpose as witnesses. Friends, this is the point today. This is the heart of the start of this series. See, when we reset our hope for life around Jesus as Lord, we find purpose and Holy Spirit power no matter what the circumstances no matter what comes at us. Everything else fades. It, it, it dissipates in how important it is. The fear, the brokenness, the wounds, the anger, the shame, the guilt, the questions, the uncertainty. Listen, even in pandemics and school plans, it disappears when Jesus is Lord because it means we have power to face these things and purpose in the middle of those things. Power says this. We don't just play defense in the kingdom of God. Purpose tells us who we belong to and where we're headed. See, we are a part of the kingdom. Let me show you one more thing about this that I think is so critical. Look at, look at verse 9. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, I, I want to break this down for you. This is so important to get what's going on here, and we have misunderstood this way too much. So let me start with a question. I want to hear a little bit of interaction. I know I'm preaching long, so a little bit of chatter among you. Where did Jesus go here? He's gone, right? Like, we call this the ascension. Where did he go? Just shout out, where, where do you think Jesus went? Heaven, okay? Give me directional orientation. Where did he go? Up, yeah, away, right? Like to heaven. Now, here's what it says, verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Okay, so the angels say, what are you looking at? He's coming back from the same way he went. What way is that? As you guys said, we're thinking up, away from the earth. He went to heaven, whatever that is. Here's my problem with this, and it's always been my problem with this. If the story's about Jesus floating up, where did he go? Is up based on Israel? Because if he was in Israel at the time, that's actually down for part of the world. See why it's fun to be in my head? Like, we assume he went to heaven, therefore heaven is up, so is he hidden somewhere out in the cosmos beyond us? Like, if we had a really super-powered spaceship, could we go play hide-and-seek with Jesus and somehow find him? Like, I have so many questions about this. Now, here's the other thing. The scriptures themselves, think about this, don't really consider heaven in this up in physical space way. I don't have time to show you all the verses today because you'd be here all day. I could, and I would love to, but I don't have time. But it's really critical to get biblically. One writer says this. He says, heaven and earth are two halves of God's created world. Now think about this. Because it's not like two halves of an orange where heaven is more or less the same as earth, but they're in different space. That's not what it means. Instead, they are more like, and hang with me here, heaven and earth are more like the weight of an object and the stuff of which the object is made. Now before your head explodes, let me give you an example. You might think of this. If you see a flag representing a country or a movement or something, the flag can hold both meaning and the cloth that makes up the flag. 
Biblically, heaven and earth are two different overlapping and interlocking dimensions. You could say everything in our world has other dimensions of reality. Think this is, this is going to get really heady for a minute, more heady, headier than it has been already. Some physicists today actually argue that there are up to 12 different dimensions of reality beyond the three dimensions that we experience. So you could maybe think of heaven and earth. This, this is going to break it down. You ready? You're all going to come back to me. Here we go. Maybe think of heaven and earth like a golf ball. See, there's the outer reality that we see. It's hard. It's full of holes. Are you with me? And then there's heaven as the inner reality, the inside of that golf ball full of springiness and life, making it float and fly and bounce. So we might think of the realities of heaven and earth ever since the days of Jesus. Listen, because he went around preaching the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near as colliding up against each other, drawing nearer to each other, actually even at times battling each other, the brokenness of earth competing against the hope of heaven, starting to show up in each other's spaces. So heaven, when we die right now, may be the temporary home for us, but the ultimate goal, listen, the Bible says this, is the renewal of both heaven and earth. It's the renewal of all things. And this began, listen, at Jesus' very resurrection. He was the space. This is why the disciples couldn't figure out, how the heck did he do that? How is his body that we can touch? Remember he told Thomas, put your hand in my side. How is that physical body able to also somehow get through closed doors? Because heaven and earth were colliding. It was a reset. It was here that, as N.T. Wright says, the creative power of God could burst forth and produce the beginning of the joined-up heaven and earth reality. Now, when we start to get this, we can start to understand Jesus' ascension as it was meant to be understood. Let me show you one more verse before we start to understand the ascension. I know. I'm going to run out of time. You guys okay? All right. You're with me. All right. Clear back in the Old Testament. And believe me, the Jewish people would have known this passage. If you were a good Jewish boy or girl watching what's happening in Jerusalem these days, you knew this passage. Back in Daniel, as the people of Israel were living under the oppression of the Babylonian Empire. There's this prophecy about beasts coming up out of the sea and crushing the Israelites. And these beasts represent all the kingdoms that would conquer Israel. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, and finally the Romans. And in the middle of this suffering, the prophet Daniel offers a portrait of hope and salvation. This is Daniel 7. You can write it down, look it up later. Here's what it says, verse 9. The prophet says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who's the Ancient of Days? If you grew up as a 90s church kid, you should have sang the song, Ancient of Days. Anybody know who the Ancient of Days is? It is God himself. The Ancient of Days, God himself took his seat on the throne. So God is king. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. Now look at verse 11. Daniel says, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. See, the, the oppressive enemies of the kingdom of God, the Ancient of Days, are being destroyed in this passage. And then look at verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now, what did Jesus call himself in the Gospels? Come on, say it loud. Son of man. 
There was one like a son of man. Now, underline, highlight, circle, write this down. Coming with what? The clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion, this is the hope our world needs right now, by the way, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, Daniel says what happens in Acts chapter 1, that the Son of Man was coming with the clouds. Coming where? Up? It doesn't matter. This was not about direction. This was about position. This is not about where Jesus floats off into a space. He may have. I don't know. I don't care because Jesus took the throne. That's the story here. He ascended his throne. This is about royalty, taking his rightful place as Lord. See, the ascension of Jesus in this moment in Acts is the fulfillment of Daniel 7. Where Jesus is doesn't matter. Who he is is what counts. See, in the Roman emperor, or in the Roman world, when the emperor Titus died in the first century, he was immortalized. You can look this up in a carving under the arch of a temple in Rome. And the image shows his deceased soul floating away, ascending to become a god. A dead king ascending to become a god. But Luke, in the book of Acts, counters this. He depicts a living Jesus, peasant carpenter from Bethlehem, beaten, crucified, and now back to life, physically eating with his disciples and ascending still to become the reigning Lord. The word there is curious, Lord, and it's a word that was used to reference the dead Caesars. This is politically subversive. This is Luke saying, you think this Roman Empire is going to last. Your Caesars are dead, and our king is alive. And he's ascended the throne over all the universe. And the angels ask the right question of these disciples. If this is a reset, why are you still standing still? Why are you standing here? He's going to come back. He's going to be the king. See, in this moment, no one thought of Jesus as a heavenly floating spaceman. It wasn't about heaven being up. It was about kingship. When the disciples ask, are we there yet? Jesus says, we're not going where you thought we were going. Do you remember back to the future? We don't need cars. Right? We don't need wheels. We're going somewhere different. We're going to the kingdom of God, and he ascends as king of heaven, the son of man with the ancient of days, to rule the kingdom of God as it continues to advance in the life of the early church. Friends, this is the reset. This is the final part of the intro here in Acts. It's the moment where for these disciples, the one who just a few chapters earlier had been failures, frauds, forgotten, forsaken, this is the place where it all changes. This is the reset moment. They're promised power, right? Jesus says, wait, watch what's about to happen. I'm going to be king, and I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to hand you purpose because I will be the king of the universe, the king of heaven and earth. Death has been defeated. Hope is being poured out. And now, disciples, you are sent to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world to do the work of the kingdom. Friends, in the middle of a pandemic, that's the message we need. That's the kingdom we need. That's the reset we need. I'm going to have the band come, and I want to invite you into a space of prayer and reflection. All I want to do to close today is to ask you some questions. And I want you to let these questions be prompts for prayer. I want these questions to be space for you to hear the questions, and then out of the, 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 the grumbling in your heart or the, the longing in your heart, the fear in your heart, the anger in your heart, or the hope in your heart, to just speak to God in whatever way you can. I want these questions to pierce the soul.
And so I'd love for you to pray with me as I ask these questions. Let's pray together. What is affection and embrace of your in-between look like right now? Just think about this. Pause. Right? When Jesus says wait, it's an intentional slowing down. Maybe actually take a deep breath. Maybe you haven't done that for a while. Let the stress be on hold for a minute. What does affection and embrace for the in-between in your life look like right now? Would you welcome the in-between as a friend rather than an enemy? What are your expectations for the next week? For the next month? For the next year? For the next five years? And how might the Spirit of God want to adjust those expectations? How might the Spirit of God want you to surrender those expectations? Another question, where do you need power in your life right now? Where do you need the hope and the strength of God that only He can give? Where are you exhausted? Where have you worn yourself out from trying to fix the, 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 the problems? Where do you need power right now in your life? The cracks and the crevices, the painful places, the unknown places, the darkness of the sins that you keep hiding. What might God's power look like? As you think about those questions, remember Jesus healing, remember Jesus breaking in, overturning tables, rising from the dead. And let me speak this to you, the same power lives in you, the same power that conquered the grave lives inside of you if you have decided to follow Jesus. And then I wanna ask you this, if we are still called to be witnesses, if we're still called to be heralds of a kingdom, who needs that around you? Where does the world around you need good news? What territory, maybe even in your home or your own backyard or your neighborhood or our community, needs reclaimed from hell? And then finally, what might change if you began to live as if Jesus is Lord? What might shift in you if Jesus really is Lord? For some of you, maybe it's the first time that you've been asked that question. Maybe you wouldn't identify as a follower of Christ. And today, you're just sensing that there's something going on here. And I want to tell you, that's the Spirit of God in your heart saying, this is true. This is a true story. And I want to invite you to respond to that. The scriptures here are so clear to tell us that when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And that's language of a kingdom, friends. The kingdom that we put our hope in is falling. The way we try to save ourselves is failing. But when we place our faith in Jesus, when we transfer our trust to him, there's hope and grace and rescue, and you can do that today. And as I pray for us, I'd love to invite you, if, if that's you, if you're saying, man, I, I have not been a follower of Christ, I haven't identified as that, but today I want to say yes to Jesus, then I'd love just even in this moment right now for you to make eye contact with me. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to pray for you. I just want to say to you, there's hope, there's salvation. And so Jesus, we give ourselves to these things, Lord, that you may want to do a hard reset in our lives. You may be 
inviting us today to surrender to the reality that you are Lord. And the way we've been doing this thing isn't working. And so God, may we give ourselves back to you. May we place our hope in you. May we find the grace and the courage to embrace these in-between times, Father, even as we carry our own fear, our own anxiety. May we wait with patience and trust what you have for us. God, would you adjust our expectations where they need to be adjusted? Will you, will you help us, Lord, to live into the power that you promise, the purpose that you've given? Because you are king, and you are good, and you are holy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.